This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be in this lovely, at least here in L.A., Sunday morning. Just that we're here for you. We're uh, here live. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff. We're over here for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Uh, here to, just like it says, let's talk pets. Want to hear about your pets, you can uh, join us here live on Zoom. The best way to do it, of course, is the old-fashioned way. You can pick up the phone and you can dial 877-385-8882. But better yet, join us on Zoom. Go on to Pet Life Radio. You click on shows, go to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you can scroll right to a Zoom link left to you for you there. And um, you can just click on it and join us here live on Zoom. Telemedicine, that's what it's all about. Many of you, I'm sure, maybe ad nauseum are getting used to telemedicine now because your vets, you're not even getting used to telemedicine because a lot of vets doing curbside aren't even talking to you. They have a CSR, a customer service rep, or a technician or a nurse running back and forth answering your questions. You're going to ask. It's insane. So uh, telemedicine is the way to go. And this is telemedicine at its finest here on Zoom with Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. So as many of you know, I oh, first of all, um, any topic, anything you want to do, now's the time to reach out. You just go on to the link. I see right now we have two participants. That's me and our producer, Mark. And I want to see three or four participants. So join us and we can uh, talk to you about your pets. Make sure it's legit stuff. You know, some you get these weirdos sometimes that they want to, I don't know, do something. But uh, no, we want really good questions. Have your pets there with you so I can see them. And, you know, as I say, when I do my telemedicine on AirVet, I will say, that a picture is worth a thousand words. Sometimes they can attach a photo, which is great. I mean, it's it certainly, but a video is worth 10,000 words. If you give me a video, you could, there's so much that a veterinarian can see just by seeing. When I have a client come in, the, in my exam room and they say something about a limp or a problem with the leg, first thing I do, and before I start feeling it, before I even touch the dog, is, let's go in the hallway, let's take a walk. I want to see it because I can learn so much just from watching, just from observing. And I think that's critical. And you, you can't do that on a still photo and you can't do it on a phone. So when you, the, you have these vets that are taking these calls and you're trying to describe a lesion, you can't describe a lesion satisfactorily. You, you have to, the vet has to see it. So anyway, all right, first story here on, uh, in perusing the news, American Vet Med Association, the AVMA Smart Brief, AHA News Stat, that's the American Animal Hospital Association. And it's official that veterinarians will be allowed to give COVID vaccines. So um, in the efforts and the attempts to spread out and to try to reach more people with vaccine, they're mobilizing other healthcare professionals to actually administer the shots, the vaccines. And veterinarians are on that list. Let's face it, we give a lot of shots. We give probably more, I would venture to say, than many MDs. And what's so interesting is that when we have to give our injections, it is so important that we don't hurt you because when we're giving it to a dog, you can't explain to a dog. I, I know, Bowser, just let me tell you, you might feel the pinch here. It might just sting for just a minute. Don't worry, it's not going to hurt. You know, you'll, no, if they feel a pinch and they, and they don't like it, they're turning around and they're going to bite you. So um, we've gotten very good 
uh, learning tricks to uh, give injections. So uh, anyway, uh, of course, veterinarians will have some basic needs, some basic CPR training. Many of us probably have that already. And there's going to be a, a CDC and a COVID. It's a whole vaccine module that we'll have to take to um, complete the module in order to be able to give vaccines. And obviously, we're gonna have to abide by all the rules and regulations. But the idea is that we will be able to give vaccines for you. Next story up. <laughs> I read this. I said, poor guy. When you hear the story, you say, oh my God, talk about taking away a natural instinct. There's a lion that has fathered five cubs in a zoo in the Netherlands. And the veterinarians decided they wanted to give this lion a vasectomy. The reason that they didn't want to neuter him is because, interestingly, when you neuter a lion, they potentially can lose their mane. And of course, there is a hierarchy within a pride of, of lions, and they will lose, he'll lose his position. So they didn't obviously want this to happen because that position is very important. So he has to have his testosterone. The other lions know it, but they, by doing tying the tubes, if you will, doing the vasectomy, then that he won't be able to sire anymore. The reason why they wanted to stop him is because apparently they're trying to not overpopulate the gene pool from that lion's genes. So they need some more diversity. We've, that's a new word for us too, diversity. So they want to keep more diversity within the pride. And he's already gotten five of his lion cubs out there. So they are trying to minimize any more of his genes being spread. But I think that's, uh, well, as I said, poor lion. <laughs> you know what the problem there is that he thinks that he's got it and he thinks that he's going to be able to breed and he, he can, <laughs> but the, nothing's going to happen. So next up, and this is something that I'm, I'm glad this came up. I saw this and there was a story that came out years and years ago, which sort of changed how I do things and how I, when it comes to recommendations for spaying and neutering, as you know. And there was a study out with Rottweilers a number of years ago. So the study was about bone cancer. Now, they weren't looking for bone cancer. They were looking at everything. They were looking at aging in Rotties. And I would say aging in dogs. They were using Rottweilers because apparently they felt that they've not heard of any purebreed Rottweilers, legitimately purebreed Rottweilers that lived over, I think it was 12 or 13. So what they were studying, and they were doing all sorts of statistical analyses about Rotties. And what they saw which was very interesting. And it sort of changed my outlook on my recommendations to my clients. And that is a 65% greater incidence in long bone cancer, osteosarcoma in Rotties, the older Rotties, in those that were pre-puberty neutered, and a 35% increase in those that were pre-puberty spayed, the females. So that is huge. So ever since then, I said, you know what? We want these dogs to be neutered or spayed beforehand. Now, well, another thing is that I've always felt, and, I, and this happened to me, and, and I think this is also pretty well known. If you neuter a, a large breed dog too early, you are affecting their muscle mass. So what happens is without the resistance of the muscle mass, their bones tend to grow a little bit longer. And I had one such dog. I had a yellow lab neutered very early. And um, it was sort of, it was given to me as a replacement when I lost my other yellow lab, Chester. So we got Abe. And um, Abe was super tall and leggy and could have been just his genes. I don't know because I didn't know the parents, but it was just unusual that we're taught about the effect of early neutering on the bone lengthening of these large breed dogs. And here enough, this dog, people said, what, what is, he? is he like a great Dane Labrador mix? I'm, he was pure Labrador, but he was pretty tall and leggy. So um, 
Here's the story. In big, long-legged dogs, they have the highest risk of bone cancer, of osteosarcoma. Some of the breeds that, are, that they looked at, the Rottweilers, Great Danes, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, Mastiffs, German Shepherds, German Shorthaired Pointers, and I'm going to add to that list myself, Retrievers, both Golden and Labradors, basically any large breed dog. Now, the lowest risk breeds are your Jack Russell Terriers, Bichons, Frenchies, Cavalier King Charles, Lassa Shih Tzus, just these smaller dogs. But now, with putting those two things together, this study on Rottweilers about the prepubertal effects of increasing the incidence of bone cancer, 65% greater incidence, versus knowing even way before then the effect of early neutering has on bone growth. And now one could see when you put the two together, that could be one of the predisposing factors. You neuter them too early and their long bones grow even longer and that sets them up for potential bone cancer later on. So what I now recommend for any large breed dog, that's any dog that has a tendency to or potential for bone cancer, you want to wait until they're at least, at least a year of age. If not, I would do even 18 months. I would do two years if you can. Because on the other side of the coin of males, there are no other health-related benefits to early neutering. There are some for early spaying. So, you know, when it comes to the female, I get it. Now we're letting them have one heat, but we want to still spay them before the second heat. So we want to get them around between 11, 12, 13 months of age. But males, boy, you can wait much longer. So, uh, and that's my recommendation. So next up, there's a new dog ambulance in Chicago called Transpet Services. They have a one-ton Ford stretch van. They equip it with oxygen, with trauma kits, stretchers, gurneys. They even have a like a, a hydraulic lift in the front of it. So for those really, really big dogs that they can lift them into the, um, into the van. And um, because if it's in Chicago, which is pretty centrally based, they will actually take these pets to either University of Illinois vet school in, in Urbana, uh, Illinois. They will take them to Purdue and they will take them to University of Wisconsin, all excellent veterinary schools in that tri-state area. So um, that is, I think that's really, really cool. Next. Ooh, this is good. I, we talked about this. We talked about giving the Corona vaccine, the virus vaccine to apes. Well, people were getting all upset because they say, wait a second, those vaccines could be used for us. Why are you giving them to apes? Well, first of all, just to set the record straight, these are not the same vaccines that we get. Zoetis, which formerly was Pfizer Animal Health, developed its own experimental vaccine for the primates, not for humans. It's not affecting any of the human supply. Don't get up in arms. Don't get upset that grandma couldn't get her vaccine because they gave it to an ape. And uh, it's a completely different vaccine. But they are, as I said, it's being tested, but so far very effective. But along the same notion is that people, they're upset when we use something for animals, right? Because they think they were not using it for them. So then get this, here's the opposite. They're taking, some people are trying to take animal medications and using it for them for COVID. The case in point, ivermectin. So they're getting veterinary products with ivermectin and taking it themselves. Not a good idea. So, um, so just, yeah, you have to know that there may be some dangers. These things have to be tested on people. There are other things that go into it. They're tested on animals because it's being used for animals. They both could say, in fact, we have Ivomec. It's, it's a pure ivermectin product, but the base, what is put in is different. And, you know, it's made into a liquid. You just can't assume that just because it's pure ivermectin, it says for veterinary use only. It said that for a reason. It doesn't say for veterinary and human use. Then if it did, you could take it. But uh, 
But now I found this was important because I kind of disagree, my opinion, because I've you know, been hearing a lot. I read a lot about this. And that is the report says there's no scientific evidence that ivermectin is effective. Well, that I have to differ. And uh, any of you, like, you know, I always say, be careful about the internet and be careful because, you know, there's a lot of things that you might read or hear may not be, you know, really true. But I will tell you that there's a lot out there about the benefits of ivermectin. So um, I think some good scientific authority. So, you know, it's like all these other medicines that came and went and there are others still using them and with great success. So for that, you, you do your own homework, talk to your doctor, obviously, but um, well, I can tell you what not to do and don't use veterinary ivermectin on yourselves. Anyway, when we come back, we have some more stuff for you. And our subject today is gonna be, for anyone who has cats, it is gonna be a, a very interesting, it's the vomiting cat, how to make sense out of it. So anyway, don't go away, we'll be right back after these short messages. Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check, a nationwide pet insurance alternative. With Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S. Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EZPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff here for you. And um, I want to show you a picture from one of our viewers, listeners. Okay. And this is a, looks like a, a sore or growth on a cat. You guys see it there? So it looks like it's sort of growing. It might be, it's more than just a spot. I would definitely have that checked. That's something that could be a growth of some sort. It could be a raw spot. And cats, as you know, like to groom themselves. So you could take a cat that had a, a scrape or a scratch of some sort, and they go to town on it with that sandpaper tongue, and they start irritating it. Then once it's irritated, the more it's irritated, the more they want to lick it. The more they lick it, the more they irritated it. And it just goes, it's a vicious cycle. So sometimes we have to get them on a collar, clean it. But if it's actually thickened, and that is more of a growth that's growing out of the skin, not just a scrape on the skin, then it's time to have a look at and maybe even surgically removed and even biopsied if it's growing fast. If it's growing larger and larger over time, something that I would definitely have checked out. Anyway, oh, this is also kind of cool. They're using wireless headbands, putting them on horses that can detect brain waves. So what they're doing is they've been putting horses in like checking them when they're in their stables 
in their paddocks and checking them when they're out on a field. And they got something very interesting that when they're in their stables, the waves they get. Now, again, it could be different because using the same criteria of the types of waves they get from people, they are associated with anxiety, distraction, and depression. Interesting. Now, when they look at the wave patterns from horses in the field, they are indicative if this, again, if this were the same kind of wave, if we read it the same way we read a person wearing the same setup, it would be calm and attentive minds. So kind of tells you a little something about when those, uh, when those horses are being put away. They, what it does tell you is they certainly enjoy being outside, being in a field, not cooped up in a stable somewhere. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So let's real quick, in the time we have left, there's an article, a story about cat vomiting. And, and I, it really resonated with me because, again, being the chief veterinary officer for AirVet, I take a lot of calls. And there's so many calls that we take about many different things. And as I mentioned before, I tell you 80 plus percent of quote unquote emergencies aren't. And as I'm sifting through these calls, you have to get good at understanding what is an emergency and what's not an emergency. And we're talking about cat vomiting. And there's so many different reasons that cats vomit. A lot of the vomiting we call is benign and other vomiting is pretty serious. So the question is when your cat's vomiting, when do you make a decision? When are you going to go to the, the vet? When are you going to just chill, maybe do something at home, et cetera? So let's talk about the more common vomiting in cats is what we call benign vomiting. And that is the hairballs. And when I hear it and I see the cat and the, the client will say, no, but I never see it. He doesn't vomit hairballs. Ah, that doesn't mean it's not hairballs. Here's how you can look at it. If you have a drain plug under your house. Now, the drain, the plug itself is now made its way and it's stuck somewhere under your house. Are your sinks and toilet going to still back up? And the answer is yes, but that plug is not coming back up. Now, if the plug is right there in the sink and starts causing a backup, then you're going to be able to grab it. You could see it there, whatever it was, big clump of hair for possibly. But once it makes its way through the pipes and lodges somewhere down below, it will no longer come up with a vomiting. So that means that a hairball that's out of the stomach will not come up anymore, but still can cause vomiting. So other criteria to look for, how's the cat acting? Like I said at the very outset, the beginning of the show, I need to see, I want to see how the animal is behaving. That's why the video is so important. So is the cat still playing? Is the cat still eating? Is the cat still happy? All right. And if the answer is yes, then it's a benign vomiting. So it could be hairballs. And I would recommend a hairball remedy. I would recommend possibly brushing, do better grooming at home. But hairball remedies really work very well. Now, what about other causes? Cats, as we know, they like to munch on leaves. They like to munch on plants. Again, assuming it's not a toxic plant, a toxic leaf, then again, it may cause vomiting. In fact, those you probably will see something in the uh, in the vomitus. And I might say in that phlegmy vomitus, I might say, I, they tell me, I see, oh, there's some grass. Well, there's your answer. He's eating grass. So they like it. It's sweet. But again, that's benign vomiting. The differentiator is knowing your cat, knowing when your cat is acting totally normally and when it's not. So let's go to some of the other things that would be sort of the opposite. Now, let's say the vomiting is because of a toxin, because of a toxic plant like a lily, for example, very dangerous for cats, or kidney disease, or parasitic infection, or pancreatitis, or any kind of other metabolic. Cats with liver disease are going to vomit. So here, if I were to ask, how is the cat acting? How is it feeling? Is it eating? Is he lethargic? Is he depressed? Is he moping? 
All right. So if the answer to those questions are yes, he is, she is, then it's time to have him or her checked out by your veterinarian. Because that now is not a benign vomiting. That is a serious vomiting. So the most important thing really is to know your cat. Now, what I also hear very often, oh, can't be hairballs because he's short hair. <laughs> no, 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 no. Of course it could be hairballs because cats love to groom. And as the picture I just showed you on the cat with the big lesion under the arm, that cats have that sandpaper tongue. That tongue, when they lick, uh, groom themselves, and we know cats love to groom themselves after they eat. If you watch a cat after he eats, he'll sit down and he is going to start giving himself a bath. So a lot of that hair is going to come out and it's a problem. So what I recommend for especially a long-haired cat would be to give hairball remedy on a regular basis. You can also get some hairball treats. You can hairball food. I don't whatever you like, but I, I use hairball for my, I have six cats and they all get hairball remedy as a maintenance. If you have a problem with hairballs, I recommend starting with a hairball remedy, maybe once consecutive days, four days consecutively. So once a day for four days, and then go to about twice a week. You actually need maybe Monday, Thursday or something or whatever fits your schedule just as a maintenance. If they vomit a little bit more frequently, then you can go a little bit more frequently with that as well. But frequent brushing, hairball remedy, and just knowing when to panic and when to not panic. I am not a panicker. I get all these calls and I look at the animal, get a little history, and I say, you know what? I think that could wait. Why don't we try XYZ? Have you tried a hairball remedy? Have you do the brushing? Because the way I look at it this, and, I, and this is for many disease conditions, if the animal is still happy, alert, playful, active, eating, normal bowel movements, then they just can't be that sick. Whatever it is, is probably, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to use the absolute. I always avoid them. I'm not going to say never, but most likely not serious. Because if it were serious, they'd be acting much differently. And I always say when I teach young veterinarians about the whole concept of diagnostic medicine, don't always just put on the list of things that could be there. And you go through the whole list. Now you go backwards on that list before you start testing. And this is the biggest mistake they make. They're starting to test for all these things. What a waste of time and money. Now go back to their list and say, okay, let's say it was pancreatitis. If, if I were to ask you or another doctor, what would the symptoms be of a cat with pancreatitis? All right. And they would say, well, they'd be vomiting. Ah, well, let's check that one off. We already know that because that, that's why we put it on the list. But they would not be eating. They'd be lethargic. They'd have a tender abdomen. So you ask yourself, are any of those things that with, going on with this cat? And the answer is no. Well, then it's probably not pancreatitis. So don't take it off your list, but don't test for it now because that's a waste. And you go through each of the other possibilities until you narrow down to maybe two or three that are likely where they've worked forward and backwards. They can fit the bill. They can fit what's happening clinically. And when that happens, then you can start testing for those things first. And um, boy, if more doctors took that time to do that diagnostic workup, people would be spending a lot less money. They'd be a lot happier. Their pets would be a lot happier because they wouldn't have to go through all these unnecessary tests. And um, I think we'd be much better off as a profession. Anyway, that's all we have time for now. So uh, all right, next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions or any subjects that you would like covered, please reach out to me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. And if you would like to join AirVet, you can sign it up for free. You go into the App Store, go to Google Play, AirVet, A-I-R-V-E-T, and register. If you don't have a primary hospital or your doctor is not listed, and the primary hospitals put in Jeff's telehospital, then click on Dr. Jeff Werber, and um, I can be your primary, at least virtually. And uh, otherwise, we will uh, all be here next week. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.